0: Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers let's get into this week's episode.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Intersectionality. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. In this segment, we explore how our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be is informed at that very intersection of race, gender, and religion. We examine how the combination of liberation, Womanist and egalitarian theology presents an understanding of God's kingdom that embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. When we consider and learn from the wisdom gained in the lived experiences of women of color, our view of God's kingdom is stretched, contextualized, enriched, and expanded, So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. Welcome to our show today. Our guest is is Reverend Dr. Susan K. Smith. Dr. Smith is an ordained minister, musician, writer, and activist living in Columbus, Ohio. She has written for the Washington Post and Huffington Post, as well as her own blog called Candid Observations. She currently serves as one of the tri-chairs for the Ohio Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. She also serves as national scribe for the African American Ministers Leadership Council, as communication consultant for the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, and is founder of Crazy Faith Ministries. She is a graduate of Occidental College and Yale Divinity School and earned a demon from United Theological Seminary. She is the author of several books, including Crazy Faith, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives, which was published by Judson Press, and With Liberty and Justice for Some, the Bible, the Constitution, and Racism in America. Please help me welcome to our show today, Reverend Dr. Susan K. Smith. Dr. Smith, Welcome.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: We are, I am delighted to have you here today. Um, I'm so excited for our audience to get to hear your voice. Uh, you are one of those women who have been actively involved in justice work and And truly, you have taken on this ethic of understanding what we call being the sister ambassador, one who is focused on dismantling and disrupting uh, the systemic injustices that we see uh, are in place in this country. I'm a little bit curious. I know a little bit about your background as far as while you were in seminary that you had some powerhouse influencers uh, at that time, Dr. Charles Booth and Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor, I'm curious, did they help kind of shape and mold your views in this area?
2: Um, first of all, thank you for the introduction. And just let me say that when I when I got to seminary, I think I was already a rebel in my spirit. <laughs> I, had, I had gone to um, Bethel Amy Church where John Richard Bryant was the pastor. Now he's a bishop, of course, but so... When I went into his church and 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 I saw African murals on the on the you know behind the pulpit and you know mm-hmm. his whole you know connection with us as Africans I thought oh, I like that and then I went from there to I I was a um I was at Yale Divinity School and that's where I met Jeremiah Wright and mm. he talked about his church. I thought, well, that just sounds like something I need because you know what? I was just never I always loved God and I love Jesus. Let me say that. But the church always kind of just got to me. There was something about it. Um, and I couldn't put my finger on it. So I met Jeremiah Wright and he spoke at Yale and I was fascinated. And I listened to him talk about it, it wasn't just the Wednesday night thing that we grew up with, where you pick a verse out of the Bible, and you know, you have people that he said would test a lion, you know, they just be talking, and don't know you know, no deep understanding, but his body curriculum, which I thought was good because I think people need to know what's in there. And so, um, he really, he and and John Richard Bryant really fed my, my spiritual religious rebelliousness, you know, and it's like weird to be to feel like you're called to the ministry, but you just really have some issues. And so they, um, uh, they uh, prompted me or encouraged me to just study more and study more, and the mm-hmm. more I studied, the more of a rebel I got, and I became um, disenchanted with religion as it as it was as it as it had been fed to us. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong; I love Sunday morning, I love the music, I love all that kind of stuff, but the the doctrines and the dogmas that organized religion had put in place which always seemed to to me to be a little bit constrictive um, juxtaposed against the message of Jesus that my mom, who was actually my first theological teacher taught us. um, It just didn't gel. It didn't make sense. Jesus was somebody that taught us we were supposed to love everybody and forgive everybody. And this other stuff was putting all these barriers up and making people feel bad. And so um, even though Dr. Proctor and Dr. Booth, you know, helped me along my spirit of rebellion against religion, organized religion as such, had been planted long before that.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, and and so let's kind of talk about that because uh, as you go through those experiences, I know for me, seminary is really one of those times that you do begin to kind of um, test and Take another look at uh, maybe the things that you have been handed and given as your tradition as you move forward. what has grown for you as your kind of theological understanding of of God of and and of this work related to justice
2: well, what has grown is my conviction that Jesus was about justice it was about social justice mm-hmm. you know. You know all your life you see him this is blonde haired or wavy brown haired guy you know sitting underneath the, the ray of sunlight and you know it's just it's just but when you read what he did and you right. read what he said it doesn't it doesn't uh gel and so i really began i i personally read matthew 5 6 and 7 every day for me that's that's my source that's my source text per se um the rest of the bible is you know good and poetic and all that but, I, but 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 what strikes me uh dr angela is that the bible as a whole has been used as a tool to control us um mm-hmm. at the expense of when people call themselves christian so many of them absolutely ignore what jesus said to do right well to me that's like that, that's that doesn't work for me. and I, I don't think, and I've gotten in trouble in other venues for saying this, but um, I think that if you call yourself a Christian, that means that you follow Jesus the Christ. But so right. what, what I see, especially now, you know, the, um, the Christian nationalism has always been, or conservative Christianity has always been around, but with it, you know, front and center and in our faces. We see these people talking. About, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and Jesus is nowhere in what they do. And you know, if you read the, the the Gospels, all of them, all four of them, you don't see Jesus as a bigot or a sexist or a, I mean, a racist or you know xenophobe. You don't see any of that. And so, I find myself getting uh, my my spirit of rebelliousness grows within me. Um, it it festers, and I and I have a, a an issue because. You know, I, I speak to and preach to a lot of um, black people. That's my primary audience, and many of them grew up with a traditional sense of religion. So my 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 journey is how do I how do I preach a message that it empowers people? Because absolutely, our religion as black people has, is what has kept us sane, but it yes, but it wasn't the religion of the white folks, right? So I mean, how do you then craft a message that keeps people sane and keeps their hope alive? and 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 at the same time get people to understand what was written in the bible what it was you know what it when it was written you know why it was written and and mm-hmm. and how it's been used against certain groups of people and and i take that as part of my life's work i just think that and i've said it to people you, you know i my god and your god not they're not the same you mm. know if you think the word of god you know in the bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us that that means if you if you're ignoring to me to me if you're ignoring jesus you're ignoring god so what then what are you doing what are you doing i think that we 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 miss that and and people have created their own religion and used the name of jesus um to give them some type of verification or affirmation or whatever the word is i'm looking for and you know it, it really it really it really makes me angry. And I think that if people, you know, it's the same thing that Gandhi said, Gandhi said, if if people who call themselves Christian would really do what Jesus said to do, the world would be revolutionized. Absolutely. But we don't, and I I just, and it just drives me crazy nuts. And so sometimes even as, as, as late as, as early as yesterday, um, I have a a daughter and a son and I think I've taught them to be rebels. I'm sorry, religious rebels. (laughs) But, um, my daughter and her new husband are, you know, in, in a couples thing, you know, talk about, you know, being married and all of that. And and she said she has a teacher and is a, he kept saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, and my rebel daughter said, okay, listen, listen, I don't go through all of that. You know, she's the first day mm-hmm. in the class. But she's but she's but she's 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 going back to what I have taught them about how the Bible was constructed and then reconstructed and manipulated in order to um, save and preserve the power of the people in power, and she mm-hmm. totally rejects that. Um, and I found myself last night thinking, Gosh, Jesus, did I did I fail them? Should I, you know, have? have but but it's done. it it, it is done.
1: The truth is the truth. And so I think that once you begin to um, open your eyes to, un- like you said, to understand the things, how they came to be, why things are presented they- the way that they are, who is presenting it in some story, then you understand how we end up with these different versions of God. And uh, of what it means to worship God and to love God and to serve God. And which is something that you really do highlight in your book uh, with liberty and justice for some talking about you kind of go through the Bible and the Constitution and how his, historically within this country, they like you're saying, those texts are manipulated to control behavior, to maintain and empower, uh, excuse me, an empire of of wealth versus, uh, the kingdom of heaven, which is what, right. you know, like, as you said, when we're, when you're reading Matthew and the sermon on the Mount, right? Those five through seven, you're reading that, that is really a guide into kingdom living. What does it mean when we're living into the reign of God, right? Then, right. and, and it's very different than, um, Really, some of what we hear and how texts w- have been used and manipulated in the past for controlling behavior right. and making sure that power
2: structures yeah. are in place, right? And, and yeah. I think that it, you know, it, Okay, so I have I, I struggle with a lot of components of organized religion, but if it is the fact that Jesus came to die for our sins, that's that's our you know theological foundation. Then, if I were Jesus, I'd be ticked off because. Everybody who is saying I love Jesus is not everybody, but so many people who say I love Jesus are ignoring Jesus' words. The the truth of the matter is that to be a Christian is a very difficult thing. When you read Matthew 5, 6 and 7 and you see the things that Jesus tells us to do, love your enemies seriously, you know, forgive the all the stuff that is absolutely antithetical to the human uh, condition the human nature that God created when you read that you think oh shoot I don't and I have had people Dr. Angela I remember um when I years ago I did a sermon about how we're supposed to attend to the least of these you know Matthew 25 mm-hmm. these, and mm-hmm. this lady came up to me she said you were absolutely wrong there will always be the poor among us okay yeah it does say that in the Bible but it doesn't say we're supposed to shun them it right. says exactly the opposite we're supposed to help them and people don't get that they reject that and so right. now we have the, the 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 we and i don't and i'm still studying this but the 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 insertion of capitalism into the religious mm-hmm. throws everybody off so now everybody's you know afro everybody's goal is to have a mega church with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars um and at And many of them are really, really good churches, but a lot of them are not. And the souls of the people, I mean, they leave there from the people that I've um, talked with, they leave there really thinking that the purpose of them going to church is to be wealthy, like the pastor or wealthy, like, you know, that has nothing to do with what Jesus said to do. And so that to me is offensive. Um, That to me is offensive. I think that I really admire what Jesus did.
0: CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. Amanda Barry Smith was born into slavery. God called her to preach during the revivals of the mid 1800s. Talking about God's transformative power, she said, you may not know it, but I am a princess in disguise. I am a child of the king. Despite lifelong prejudice, she established an orphanage for black children in Chicago and became a prominent evangelist around the world. Learned more at radiowomen.org
1: so so let me ask you this question because if you consider your identities as female black um Christian uh, u.s citizen how, how does how do these identities really kind of contextualize what marginalization is today in the u.s
2: um well I number one I hit all of the all of the requirements to be a marginalized person as to you. Um, Mm -hmm. but our, and I think in terms of our being Christian, it's like a double edged sword. I think that being Christian in this context and believing as I do, is not popular. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't get you in some of the doors maybe that you might want to be in. Um, But being Christian in the way that I think I am, I think is the Christianity that our ancestors practiced. I think And by that you mean meaning that they rejected the God of their masters, the enslaved people, rejected the God of they didn't they never bought into this God that would allow the lynching and the raping and the enslavement they never bought into that they couldn't they weren't allowed to read but they had enough of their own spiritual sense to understand that what they were being taught was not correct and I think their ability to reconstruct or to dismantle what they were being taught by their enslavers gave them a relationship with God that helped them to survive. I think if they had internalized and accepted that God, we would not be where we are today. But it gave them a sense of, you know, and all of the things that the enslavers did, you know, to not, to make sure that they didn't get the knowledge that of of Mm -hmm. the love of God and the fairness of God, none of that worked. In spite of the efforts that They put forward our people, our people were able to find this God that they knew was good and hold on to this God and, 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 and maybe squeeze this God when their lives were falling apart, when they did not know from one day to the next, what the next day was going to be, but they Mm -hmm. kept holding on. And they would, you know, that song over my head, Mm -hmm. there must be a God somewhere. And that gave them the fortitude and the strength and the determination to keep pushing so that you and I are sitting here now. And I think that, um, as I talk to a lot of young people, especially millennials, um, you know, they, they, they don't want to do organized religion. That's okay, but let's talk about God. Let's talk about the God that saved your ancestors and my Mm -hmm. ancestors, the God that they held on to the God that made them able to, you know, I was in South Carolina last summer and they talked about, um, we were on this, you know, the plantation and, there's this moat, little teeny moat between you know the uh, actual plantation grounds and where you could go to be free. And in this moat, there's alligators, and there's always been alligators in there, and snakes, and all this kind of stuff, on purpose. And I stood on that bridge and looked at that moat. And I said, I wonder if I could have done it because they got into those waters. And the oh, you know, I'm squeamish. If a snake had rubbed up against my leg, I think I would have. Oh no, this ain't it. I'm I'm good. I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out. I'm getting out. But the think that they did that, and then the, the marshes with all the mosquitoes and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, and they had the fortitude, and the determination, and a real different knowledge of a good God is why we are here today. So, and, and let me
1: ask you this because we have, you know, a very broad audience and there are some folks who listen, who are in countries where they are facing oppression. Women are, in particular are facing oppression. How, how can the experience of um, our communities being marginalized here in the U.S.? How, how can our stories help them in their fights that they're experiencing where they are?
0: Well,
2: you know what? I think that our stories already have because countries all over the world imitate the civil rights struggles that we have done here. Uh, People in in Israel, the young people in Palestine, I mean, uh, people all over the world have watched the struggle of the African-Americans. America in spite of its claim to be the land of the free and the home of the brave has been a racist country from the beginning. It has specialized in oppressing people. Let me say that. And Mm -hmm. it's been noticed. So, so like I was surprised I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised that when the Nazis, for instance, were were constructing their race laws, they, they went to our race laws and they bought from our race laws and some of our laws were so bad that even they didn't want them but they studied our race laws and they constructed that whole horrific regime of of the extermination of jewish people on that but when i talk to people from different parts of the world they talk about the civil rights movement they talk they've mm-hmm. know, they've seen us in the streets they they have and they imitate us so even though other countries that are in power uh, grab hold of our race laws to help them um operate their oppressive regimes the people who have been oppressed have watched us, Dr Angela, and they have seen how we have suffered sp- and but had some successes you know in spite of that so I think that we you know it's not what we thought to be, but in fact the fact that we have been steadfast and immovable and mm-hmm. and 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 fighting no matter what no matter how how grossly awful it's been people around the world notice and I think that's why like when George Floyd died he was killed mm-hmm. all those um uh, demonstrations all over the world because the world is watching us
1: well and and you know and obviously for you the, um integrating this work of justice it 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 it, it, it is a well, it actually is it, inextricable from your understanding of who God is and God's expectations for us in the world. And, you know, as I look over your resume and your life's work, um, I can see that that has connected you, you, your work with the Poor People's Campaign, your work with the uh, Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference Um all of these different, uh, there's, there's so many other things, but, um, that you've been involved in that say that it is important that a person who believes that in living out that faith, uh, you you're expressing and you, you are standing for justice, um, because when i look at you dr dr susan i don't just see someone who's just an activist right not someone who's just like just give us our rights but i see you as a person who's saying this is what a christ follower does this is this is the life of the believer um if you if you're wanting to talk about uh, spreading good news, which is what evangelism is supposed to be, right? Evangel is the good news story. Then the good news is this writing of life, right? The, the turning the world back on its right side up and, and, and allowing all to be able to experience the reign of God. Right. Right. So I know that we have, um, Um, This conference that's coming up next week, the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, Mm -hmm. which uh, is a conference for both uh, the laity as well as clergy. Um, It is celebrating 20 years this year, but you have been involved with Samuel DeWitt Proctor for some time. Do you want to share a little bit with us about this conference and what it means as far as, uh, what what does it mean to the body of believers as a whole to have this space for these conversations.
2: Um yeah, this is a monumental conference because it is, as you say, 20 years. And when the conference was conceptualized, the goal goals were to kind of merge the preached word with, or okay, let me say the pew with the with the academy or the church with the academy. Um, so that and 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 also to to train people um uh, to how to have the resources to do the work of social justice. In other words, from the very beginning, social justice was a very important part as opposed to, you know, other conferences where you go to where it's it's preaching and it's fun. You know, but it's like after you get done hearing the, the word, then how do you do? You know, so this conference has um from the, from its very inception worked to address the issues that um, cause injustice. For all of us. So that's women's issues, that's you know, people who are differently able, that's you know, mm-hmm. poverty, that's all of those things, because you really cannot be a Christ follower unless you have eyes that see and yes. you that hear the suffering that's going on around you, and so. If you see the suffering or hear about it and you don't know where to go, then you feel immobilized. But if you see the suffering and then you go and get instruction on the resources that are available to you as a church or to you as a community to help alleviate some of that suffering, you feel empowered. And so I think that that for me... Has been like the the shining star, you know, because like I said, I really, I really love it. I think you know, black preaching is like the bomb. Um, <laughs> I listen to these homiletical giants. I say, you better go, because I mean, it's this is something about it. But what I have always struggled with is um, hearing a good sermon, and you you shout and you yell, and then you go out and you don't do anything different, and mm-hmm. half the. You're, the sermon is so good, and you've been so emotionally filled. Um, there's jokes about this, but you leave church and say that was a good sermon. Yeah, well, what did he say? I don't know, but it was good. Yeah. See, that to me is not acceptable. Right. To me, the sermons have to have to have to inspire, but they also have to educate us. Right. So, that we, right. so and, and, and through the education, we become empowered. And I think that is what the Samuel Duet Proctor Conference has been just on top of. Um, and I think it's helped make a difference in churches around this country. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
1: I am too. I am I am too. Well, our time is actually just about up. I can't believe it. We've only scratched the surface of this conversation, but I want to thank you again so much. And um, are are there any final words that you would want to leave our listeners uh, again as we think about, who our God is and who God is calling us to be for such a time as this, uh, wh- what would you tell those who are listening today?
2: You know, I would say um, that you need to know what it is you're following. And um, all of the stuff that's in the, in the Bible, you know, a lot of it's just very beautiful poetry and all that, but at the end of the day, you really know, need to know why you are a Christian. And mm-hmm. so I Tell my daughter, I tell my son, read Matthew five, six, and seven. That's the, that's the roadmap for le- living a life that Jesus wanted us to live. And by doing what Jesus says to do, we're, we're pleasing God. And I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's that's all that matters. And when we do that, some of the um, the irritation or or whatever emotion that we have. When we hear the Bible being manipulated and used for what I call nefarious purposes in ways to, you know, just in ways to keep people down, you can say, no, but that ain't my God. That's not my God. And in doing that, knowing that you give the strength to carry on just like our ancestors did.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again so very, very much. And for all of our listeners today, I want to thank you as well for tuning in Stay tuned for all the brand new episodes that will be continuing to come your way weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support all of the cast members of our podcast family. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to our website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blogs, magazines, and academic journals. There are videos there to watch and to listen to other audio of past conferences and events. You can also go visit our bookstore where you can find all kinds of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I am Angelo Raven-Anderson, and I would like to say to uh, Landon, our our, our support tech, thank you, sir, for making this this broadcast possible, and to the entire team of CBE International, um, we appreciate you today. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening
0: looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information and please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts